Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Sally McRae, and I'm here with my co-host, Eddie McRae. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. Before we get started on today's episode number 10, Woo. we're in double digits. Wow. You. All right. Uh, before we get started, though, we're going to be talking about AC100, um, offering you guys some insight on mindset, problem solving, dealing with obstacles uh, in races, and a whole load of other exciting things that we have in store for you. But before we do, we want to just give a shout out to our sponsor, which is our app, the Sally McRae Strength app, which you can find a link to uh, in the show notes. We encourage you to check that out. I have uploaded all kinds of my personal favorite workouts, um, workouts that I have constructed and crafted together over the last two decades. These are the workouts that I use. These are the workouts that I give to my athletes. And really the idea behind the app was to be able to reach a wider audience as uh, training especially strength training, is something that we are contacted about multiple times a day. And so I'm very excited about this app because I feel like that I can help more people, but I'm also able to offer a wonderful community behind it. So there is a Sally McRae Strength Community on Facebook that you can join, and you can join thousands of other people just like you who are working toward their goals. And bear in mind, this app is not just for runners. Uh, My goal was to make it for youth. Uh, Uh, for sports teams. This is for anyone that's just looking maybe to increase their overall total well-being, health, fitness, strength. Um, But also if you are looking to train for a race, maybe your your first ultra, if you want to train for a 50K, you're going to find a 16-week 50K program in there. But there's also follow-along day-to-day programs. We have a four-week and a six-week training program, and then hundreds of standalone workouts. So if you have already a great uh, running program going on and you want to add in strength, then you can do that. You can pull up the app, and there's all different categories for upper body, lower body, um, knee strength, uh, mobility, stretching, pre- and post-workout type workouts as well. So go ahead and check that out. You can actually test the app for a whole month for just a dollar. There's no contracts. You can cancel any time. If you like it, uh, it's only $14.99 a month or it's $99 for the entire year. But I'll tell you what, um, this is also a great way just to support the work that Eddie and I do. So if you wanted to support this podcast, download the app because that's kind of like a, our gift back to you is all the content that's in the app. But we also want to continue to grow the app uh, just with content and we have some other fun ideas ideas for it too. So we really appreciate those of you that are listening that are already a part of the community. It means so much to us. We really enjoyed getting to know you. And again, if you'd like to um, support our work, download the app and know that we really appreciate you. Um, let's go ahead and get started with the podcast today, Eddie. I am so happy that you're joining me today. And if you're listening and you are curious, we have a YouTube channel. So we are actually looking into a screen right now. So if you feel like watching this show, you can go on to YouTube and subscribe to our Choose Strong podcast channel, which Eddie has set up. Eddie, I was thinking though, before our show started, I think that we that we should probably think about a new jingle to start the podcast. I feel like the current one is a little bit, you know, it's slow, it's inspirational. And so because your to-do list already has 600 things on it. I thought I would just add that on there in the middle of the show right now. I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I really, <laughs> I really like the one I have right now. I'm not opposed to it. 
But I was thinking like of it, singing. I was thinking of okay, maybe there. having a song. I don't know. <laughs> the truth comes out. What song? Are you like a, an original or are you gonna... Probably an original. Really? Like Sally and Eddie are on the podcast. Choose strong. You know, something <laughs> something like that. Oh. Well. If you guys want to vote, uh, what you guys think of that. There's, there's a couple little renditions I have of it. I thought maybe, <laughs> like, you could chime in with your guitar. If you guys don't know, Eddie plays guitar. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, some awesome guitar riff, you know. Eddie and Sally, starting a podcast. Four, three, two, one, and then we just come in. Come in, yeah. yeah. We just come I think, in, I think and you're it's like, something. whoa, you know. <laughs> I think you're so uh, anyway, go ahead and vote. Let us know on social media. You can uh, share and like this episode and say, yes, a Sally original intro or Eddie on the guitar intro. Yeah. Yeah, and after you've gone over a couple of those options, I'm leaning towards the Sally <laughs> original. Those are solid <laughs> Would we Solid lose choices. listens that way? Would we get, <laughs> would, would our ratings <laughs> go in the other direction is what I want to know. I don't know. You might just want to stick to running. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, let's dive in. So today, this is what we have for you. We are going to talk about the AC100 uh, race, which is if you're brand new to following me, you're brand new to the podcast, I am in the middle of a project called the Choose Strong Project, which is a series of six races. Angela's Crest 100 was race number two. In a mere short two days, we are leaving for race number three, which uh, between Angela's Crest 100 and Leadville 100, Leadville 100 is race number three, uh, we had 13 days to recover. So we're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. But this Choose Strong project is very precious. Uh, It's very, um, it's something I've been looking forward to for amazingly, uh, many, many years in my life. I knew that when I turned 43, I wanted to do something special to honor my mom who passed away when she was 43 and to celebrate, uh, the life that I live, uh, my children, my husband, and, um, really the hope for the project is to encourage people around me and to send a greater message. So although the races, I purposely put these races very close together. Uh, there is a, a reason why I did that and, and the intensity in it, having, you know, very short recoveries. The idea was just to send and spread a message of hope, encouragement, and strength. And, um, I'll tell you what, I know that although I, you know, I, I talk about running often, I'm actually uh, not always talking about running. Most of the time I'm talking about life. And I'll tell you what, if I can't take what I learned in my training and my racing and apply it to my everyday life and, and real struggles and hardships and situations in life, then I'm missing out on gold. And that is really what I want to encourage you in today. For those of you listening, whether you're training for a 5k, your first ultra, um, or you're not even training for a race at all. Maybe you're going after just a goal, a career goal, or, um, you've had some big changes in your relationships, or you're just going through like a really tough, dark time. Know that there is something to be said about keeping hope in your heart and choosing the strong path. And that simply is just to keep going because we never know 
what is down the road. We weren't born with a manual for life. Uh, I'll tell you what, if someone, uh, if, if we were born with manuals for life that basically said, this is how your life is going to be day by day, I think I may have wanted to crawl back into the womb, <laughs> right? I mean, sometimes uh, life hits us pretty hard and we just say, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. But I've reached a lot of those deep, dark valleys uh, early on in my life. And many times um, I had people around me who encouraged me, Sally, just keep going. It's not always going to be this way. There is something better. And, you know, one of the last things that my mom was able to say, uh, this is my, actually my, my favorite verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And really my mom's final words to me were just to keep that hope, to keep going because there is something better. The best is yet to come. So I just want to thank you first and foremost for being here on the show with us. Eddie and I so enjoy the community that's being created. Um, and it's been so exciting because the last two races that we have been to, uh, Eddie has been approached quite a few times and people have said, Hey, I recognize your voice or I love you on the podcast. And as truth be told you guys, Eddie did not want to be on this podcast when I was starting. He's like, I will do all the things which he's amazing at. He does the editing. He's done all the design. He's done the jingle. He's set up all the channels, uh, sound. He does it all. He's the production manager and it really this podcast exists because of him so I'm very grateful but knowing Eddie since we were 18 I also know he has incredible insight no one knows me better than he does and I love doing life with him he's my best friend and so um, I slowly am pulling him out and trying to make him be on the show more often so even now you guys he's saying I don't need to be on it all the time but yeah so throw some encouragement his way and cheer for him. Say you need to be on every time because I don't it would need just... <laughs> any encouragement. I am here because, because you asked I give me, you so much. Because you asked me to be on it <laughs> this time. This time we'll see you guys. I think I I love having us do this All together. Right, let's move on. Okay, let's look at him. <laughs> Another thing he doesn't like attention. So um, <laughs> we'll move on. All right, you guys. I just uh, I think overall, two strong project overview. This is race number two. So let's go ahead and just talk about race number two. Actually, no. Before we move on to <laughs> oh. the race, I because I get this question all the time, especially right now as you're doing this project. How are you feeling? Like how are your legs? Because I everybody keeps asking me. Okay, you just had bad water. You just had Andrew's crest. How's Sally feeling? How's your legs? Like. Can you share a little bit about kind of where you're at with your, your body right now? Yeah. And I love that you're acting like you're curious and you don't already know. <laughs> I, I know most of it, but I know many want to know. Uh, I'd say first and foremost, I'm feeling today probably 70%. And I say 70% just overall, head to toe, mentally, physically. I'm not 100% recovered. But I do know I'm racing again in, in three days. And so I have taken every every day to recover as much as possible. So what does that look like? What do you what do you do? So gosh, from the day that we got home, I mean, we crossed the finish line and as soon as I crossed the finish line, our Airbnb was messaging us saying, you guys need to get your stuff out. That was not fun. That was, yeah. That was I was filthy and so, I was so trashed. I was, was in a little bit of pain when 
Aren't you glad finished? that I did I did all that work and I didn't make you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Yes. Eddie and the kids were at the race and I cross the finish line and then Eddie leaves. Like he jets back over to the Airbnb and like a whirlwind. Yeah. It, it, go it, ahead. Anyways, no, I'm <laughs> So tell me what what the have you been doing? The cleaning crew was waiting for him. <laughs> what have you been doing? What's what's the rehab? So the we drove home life? like we literally like all crammed in. We had three teenagers in the car with us, and I'm sitting in the front of your truck with my feet up on the dashboard. I think I fell asleep within the first sixty seconds of the drive, and when I got home, that's when I was finally able to take off my race clothes. I mean, it was like a two hour drive back home, and yep. you know, I took a took a quick shower and just laid on the bed. I think I, I napped. That's the biggest thing is like, just sleep, mm-hmm. like just try and sleep. And typically it takes almost three days before I'm, my system calms down that I'm actually sleeping through the night. So the system's just revved up and no matter how tired I am sleeping through the night, the first two days is very difficult. And I have a little bit of, of breathing stuff. So sometimes um, in this last time, I did struggle with my breathing for a few days. And once all of that calmed down, oh my goodness, like then I kind of felt like, okay, now I can actually think about Leadville. But those first three days, I was like, how in the world am I going to gonna recover? So uh, I know we're going to get into it later. One of the things I did struggle with dehydration in this race I do believe it's because I did not go into the race fully hydrated and then it was insane heat and lots of climbing around in exposed canyons at AC 100. So that factor, the um, dehydration plus we were up at altitude the entire time and the heat is what just decimated my quads. And so um, went and saw my PT who assessed like my legs and just was making sure to rule out anything. Someone had contact me and ask, you know, are you sure it's not rhabdo? And no, it was not rhabdo. Um, and then lots of good food. I, I really focus on having high calorie foods and lots of protein. So, uh, I, I really love BPN's protein powder. So I'm having smoothies every single day. Um, I'm eating lots and lots of berries, green juice, uh, lots of fish, And then I probably got, I'd say I got back into the gym for the first workout, uh, four days after AC 100. And I don't even want to call it a workout because it isn't, you know, what I would necessarily give someone to go and train. But for me, the first day back into the gym is always an assessment. So I, I check and see how my ankles are doing. So I do like all these different mobility exercises, which, um, if you're interested in what those look like, I do have a mobility and stretching category in my app where I show you all the things that I do. So that's really powerful for me because I think the ankles are one of the most overlooked areas um, in an athlete's body and it, it dictates so much. It, your your running gait, your balance, everything. So ankles are a big deal. I'll spend like 20 minutes just assessing ankles, knees, hips. And then I do what I call basic strength. So it's very, very basic stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll pick up some lighter dumbbells and just see how my overall like body's feeling. Like how is my strength? I'll do some really basic, just couple rounds of some certain exercises. I do squats and lunges and just see how I'm responding. So um, I did that for a few days. I went on some hikes. I shouldn't, I didn't even get on the trails. I mean, I just went on these like long walks just to flush out the legs Uh, Did some cryotherapy, some Normatec boots, 
I was able to get into a hyperbaric uh, chamber and sleep, <laughs> which that was really helpful. And then I had my first run two days ago. I did six miles. I ran five of it. And then I did like a walk run for the last mile. And that was just to test out the legs. And that was very eye-opening for me. I'm going to be honest. Uh, my legs did not feel fresh and poppy. Uh, I didn't feel like I had any spring. But I was very grateful to not have pain. So that is um, very important to me because as a coach and just an ambassador of just the sport of running, I, I'm a strong believer in taking care of the body, which... Kind of reminds me of a message that we. Yeah, I thought of that too. Where you, when you're talking about that, where if someone's looking at this project and you strung these insane, you know, races all in a row with hardly any, just very minimal time to recover and to, I mean, because some of these races people are training all year for that one race, right? Totally. Versus yeah. you're trying to crank them out in a few months. Obviously, you, you wouldn't, as a coach, recommend that to an athlete, right? You you wouldn't say, hey, let's do this race, and then a couple weeks later, let's do this race. So, obviously, you are, you've been doing this for a long time, right? And, you know, but I, I think people, I, we did get a message, and, and other people have, have mentioned, if it's smart or wise to, to do this, aren't you just you know, wrecking your body? Aren't you, you know, putting these way too close? Aren't you going to get hurt? And, you know, how do you respond to that? What do you, what would you say to that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good question. And, you know, my, my whole thing is choosing strong. And I think that when, if, if you haven't been following me for a while, then I think it would be easy to possibly like, just look at the physical side of what I'm doing but that's not my message. Mm -hmm. Choose strong isn't about like, oh, like how badass are you in the gym and how many miles are you running and let's see how many races you can do. And do you like my like grunty voice? Right yeah, there? what was that? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not the message that I am sending is not, you know, bury yourself out on a race course if, if you're suffering. It isn't, you know, if you are injured and you're really hurting. This isn't about, oh, you're weak if you don't keep going. And I really want to be clear about that. Choosing strong is a mindset. And, you know, someone had messaged me um, earlier in the week who in a race they hurt themselves and they knew that if they would have continued, they, they would have been like severely injured and he basically was like, so I'm curious, like, why you're sending this message because um, it sounds really harmful and, you know, so messages like that, I'm like, well, you're, you're clearly not seeing what it is that I'm saying. So I, I would like to set that straight. I really believe that when it comes to racing, so just being very direct, no metaphors, no parallels here. When you're racing, your journey as a runner is long. Hopefully it's your entire career. It's your whole life that you're going to be able to race until you're 70, 80, 90 years old, regardless if you're a front packer or a back packer. So the idea is in life, we have one finish line. We have one finish line. That's getting to the end of your life as strong as possible. And, and that is mindset. 
if you are in a race and you injure yourself, choosing strong doesn't mean that you beat yourself up and abuse yourself and don't take care of yourself. That is, that isn't always the best thing to do. In fact, for Andrew's Crest 100, I chose two words, wisdom and patience, wisdom to know what to do, wisdom to choose wisely. If I, if I'm injured, I'm going to be wise and I'm going to take care of my body because choosing strong is about not giving up. And one race doesn't mean if you DNF from one race, that doesn't mean you're a quitter. There are so many races ahead for you. See, this happens a lot, I think, in life when we pursue anything in life. And as soon as we hit a challenge, we're like, well, I guess that was my answer. I guess I wasn't meant for this, or I guess I'm not supposed to do this, or I'm not good enough. And I hear this story all the time and people walk away from a goal or a dream or something they had because they couldn't handle the challenges. Guess what? Injuries are just challenges. They're, they are not messages that you're not good enough and that you're not capable of finishing something. You might have 10 DNFs in a row before you finish a marathon. And the fact that you can fail 10 times and then go finish a marathon, that's powerful. That is choosing strong because every time you failed to get to that finish line, you got back up and you tried again. And that's what this is about. I'm very well aware of the fact that I might not finish all the races that are on my list, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop. That doesn't mean that I just walk away from running forever, that I walk away from what it is that I want to do. Maybe it means that I modify things or maybe that I change the schedule or I take a longer time to complete it. And I think that that is the beauty in life is understanding that you can make a plan, but the strongest people are those that are flexible. They know how to bend. They know how to adjust. They know how to, to find a solution when things don't go their way. That's what it means to choose strong is understand that's just how life works out. Nothing ever goes smoothly. I'm very well of the, of the fact that all these races put together puts a lot of stress on my body and I don't have a lot of recoveries. Every time I line up at a start line, as I go further into this project, the races become harder and harder and more stressful. But my goal, the reason why I'm doing this is far greater than a finishing time, than a medal, and whether or not I get on the podium, this is a very different year for me than all the years in the past where I'd spend months and months and months focusing on one goal for one race. Here, I'm focusing on a project and I'm telling a story. So for those of you that have been so encouraged by the message of Choose Strong, I, I want to encourage you that if there comes a time where you have to pause, you have to stop, you need to take care of your body or you feel like you're getting injured, Choosing strong does not mean not taking care of yourself. Choosing strong does not mean that you abuse yourself. It means that you learn and grow from the setbacks and the challenges that come your way. So yes, to the gentleman that wrote in to me, I think it was wise that you stopped your race so that you weren't severely injured. That was very smart. But that doesn't mean that you can take several months to heal and maybe you try again at that 50K, maybe a year from now, two years from now. And I think that's one of the most wonderful things about life is that we are students forever. When challenges come our way or we ha we don't, our race doesn't go the way that we hoped it to, that's an opportunity for you to grow. That's how you get stronger. I mean, Eddie, you and I were talking about this yesterday with about Mackenzie. Mm -hmm. 
and how she was one race away from making it to state. Yep. And well, we, yeah, we were just talking about how that was like looking back now. It was like, man, that's such a good. Good in the moment, it was like mm-hmm. super sad and so heartbroken sad. We for crying. her. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a bummer, but looking back, it was probably a really good thing that we're probably going to point back to quite a bit for a few years, you know, for her as she races and, you know, because you were saying how she probably never wants to have that feeling again and she she felt it and she needs to know that and, Mm -hmm. okay, I don't ever want to feel that again, so I'm going to get out in front or whatever, whatever the strategy is to never feel that again. But Mm -hmm. until she had that moment, she didn't really understand that feeling. Mackenzie was in uh, in a track race in the um, 3200 uh, a few months ago, and she needed to be in the top seven to make it to state. And we're in California, so um, unfortunately they over-race our kids before they can make it to the finals just because there's so many kids. So um, she was on race number three or four and had been placing well. And this particular race, she got sucked all the way into a backpack and I've never seen my daughter get pushed so many times. I mean, it was like startling. I thought for sure that the one girl that was doing the pushing, I thought for sure that they were going to disqualify her. I thought you were going to jump the fence and get out there and be like, you <laughs> okay. don't touch her. You don't touch my daughter. All right. Mama Bear was kind of on the side wondering what in the world is going on. But it was very hard as her mom to watch because a couple times she was she went flying forward, caught herself and she tried surging several times to get out of the pack and she ended up missing it by one placement. So she came in eighth place and um, she was devastated. We, we watched her train all year, very strong. Um, she had an incredible year um, and had set all these records. She was a um, league champion and uh, lots of different invitationals. She, was, she, was, she had a great season and that was her hope. She wanted to make it to state. And, um, she was, she was a heap of tears at the end. I was, I was crying with her and, um, but I think that's, that was the conversation that we had, you know, a couple hours after that and the days following, I said, Mackenzie, you didn't fail. You know, you didn't reach the goal that you had trained so hard for, but this is how you grow when you have those setbacks and those challenges and they beat you down. That's where the growth starts. That's where you start to build strength. So again, listeners know that that is what the True Strong Project is about. In the midst of those trials, those disappointments, those letdowns, those failures, that's where the gold is. That's where you start to grow. So take those DNFs, take care of your body, reset, but always go back and restart. Don't give up. And that is the defining, uh, you know, I, I think message right there. There's a difference between DNFing and then just quitting for good and always. And I want to encourage you to always keep going. Yeah. Speaking of letdowns and things that you can't control and choosing <laughs> strong, let's talk about uh, AC. Let's go ahead and talk about the race then. What a great <laughs> intro. <laughs> you like that? Well, I think first of all, it was so awesome having you and the kids there. You guys, I did AC 100 back in 2012. It was my first 100. And the kids were, I want to say four and six, four and six when I did it. And that was the last time. Well, actually they were just, you guys were just there at the, uh, we were at the finish line. That was it. Yeah. So the first time they crewed me was in 2010 and that is when they were two and four. 
And every aid station, my kids would go running in and try to take candy off the tables and they cry when I leave. And so Eddie has been so incredible over the years to be supportive and say, go race. I got the kids. And it's been hard at times because, you know, we, our family's very close. I want my kids there. But the way that I race too is I'm in and out of aid stations. The goal is always 20 seconds, uh, 30 seconds at the max. And so it just isn't fair to ask Eddie to take little kids and go stand at aid stations for three hours where he's going to see me for 30 seconds and then not see me again for several hours. It just makes for a long day. So for our family, that's what works is just I go and race. And um, sometimes the kids have been able to be Western States. You guys were able to show up to one or two aid stations as spectators, um, run with me into the finish line if they were awake I always felt like Isaiah was always sleeping at Western State's finish line yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Mackenzie was usually awake but yeah so this year is really special and every race that I do it marks a time in my mom's life and so this race represented her years up until she was 20 and 20 is when she became a mom so it was really really cool how it worked out that as a mother my kids got to be there with me at this race and and just to honor that like just remembering her as, as I ran through those mountains, one of the, one, the second big climb on this course, Mount Baden-Powell, uh, my daughter Mackenzie and I had, had run up it together a few months ago. Um, it was actually on the anniversary of my mom's passing, and I told her the story as we ran up to the top of this mountain, which is about a little over 3,000 meters high. And, you know, it was so amazing on this day to be chasing my daughter up this mountain as I'm talking about my mom, like we were strong together running up this mountain and it was just such a beautiful day. So when I, I reached that part in the race, I just, I couldn't help but remember chasing Mackenzie. And I, I feel like I got up that mountain a lot stronger, um, because of that. But this race is very special because it represents the SoCal trail running community. It's one of the most, uh, family feel, uh, races. Everyone is just so friendly. It's like a party in the mountains. Everyone knows each other. You have a lot of runners that have run this race multiple times, but this race has been around since 1984, 86, uh, somewhere in there. It's been for a while. It was one of the toughest 100s in um, the United States, and it's known for three uh, very vital uh, characteristics. You know, I'd say that most hundreds have like one thing that makes it difficult or one thing that it stands out for. When I think of Leadville, it's high altitude. Um, that's it. It isn't, you know, intense climbing or crazy terrain or anything like that. It's, it's the, the altitude that makes Leadville difficult. When I think of Badwater, it's the heat. Um, it's the extreme heat. And so, uh, you know, you think of UTMB, it's the climbing, you know, you got over 10,000 meters of climbing in that race, about 34, 35,000 feet of climbing with Angela's crest 100. You have all three of those things. You have altitude the entire time. You have extreme heat and you have intense climbing and intense descending. So it is 101.5 miles this year. They made it an out and back because the last section of the course was burned um, in our fires in these previous years, which has been very devastating. So it no longer runs from Wrightwood to Altadena. It's just um, Wrightwood out 50 miles and then you turn around. So because of that, they've added on about 4,000 feet of climbing. So about 1,800 meters more of climbing. Um, it also added on about a mile and a half of, 
of racing, but the, the heat this year was especially intense. Now these are high desert mountains. SoCal is known for the hottest desert. Um, uh, we, we record very high temps out there about 56 Celsius. And so we're not very far. Wrightwood is only a couple hours away from, uh, you know, death Valley. And so it kind of towers over on one side, you can see the ocean and these mountaintops on the other side, you can see just desert stretching. So the kind of, um, environment that you get, you do get Alpine, but then you also get like these crazy cacti and sand and, um, canyons, these exposed sandstones stone canyons. And I'd say that if you go into this race unaware of all three of those factors, it's going to be a hard day. And historically, uh, a lot of people drop out halfway into this race, whether it was a point to point or, um, an out and back Andrews crest is known. If you can make it through past mile 50, oh, that's awesome. I mean, I know that was a goal for everyone. Try and make it past the 50 mile mark. But I think when all is said and done, uh, we had about 70 of the 200, uh, people that lined up that ended up DNFing. I mean, it was a rough, rough day. So I guess we can go ahead and just pop into the first 25 miles. And I want to um, just offer, for those of you listening, we're going to talk a little bit about crewing it. Um, we're going to offer you guys just some mindset problem solving and how we dealt with some obstacles. And Eddie has like some helpful insight as well. So um, Eddie, why don't you talk about what we had planned for the first 25 miles, what you did at the kids, how the race started out. It was a 5 a.m. start. Um, what were some of the things that we talked about for those first 25? We we had like a little spreadsheet um, that we put together and you we kind of mapped out each aid station because the aid stations are great there. They have all sorts of stuff and mm-hmm. volunteers and they, they were awesome. And um, you can actually see your runner a lot in this yeah, race because yes. it's all on the two highways. So you're just pulling off the two highway under these trailheads and they let crew go, you know, sometimes it's every four or five miles. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so I mean, we just kind of mapped out all the different aid stations, and then we basically put in a you know in the spreadsheet what you thought you would need at that point. Emphasis on thought, right? <laughs> but what you you know you're coming in and you're like, okay, this is mile nine. This is probably what I'm going to be need. I'm going to need another bottle of this, or you know, more electrolytes and a banana whatever right so we mapped all that out and then um when i saw you that was i kind of went off of that and um the first aid station you came zipping in like super fast i had written down you know (laughs) take off your pack give you a new pack with your new bottles i had it all set and then give you your banana and you're gone you came in so fast (laughs) and you just looked at me and you said just give me a new bottle just give me a new bottle and i took your pack and you put your other back and I had my banana on, and you just took off. And I was like, oh, all right. So she did not take her banana. And How fast was that exchange? I'm really proud of that. It was like two seconds. Seriously, two seconds. it was it was yeah. crazy fast. Yeah. And you were, and even I heard some girls behind me say, oh, man, Sally's looking strong, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I, I wanted to give you a banana, but I didn't. You know, and I'm flexible, you know, at this point because I knew – Hey, I have it all set out. Because you've been married to me for a long time. She might not need this. <laughs> and then I knew, okay, well, uh, the next one says that she just needs a new pack, and um, that's it. So, 
you know, it's you just kind of go off of what we had written down and then... Um, adjust on the fly. Adjust on the fly, yeah. yeah. And I'd say, too, uh, you know, when I started the race, I had, you know, I, I chose two words, wisdom and patience. And honestly, I my focus is not podium. My focus wasn't how fast can I run this. I wanted to show up and give the best me on with what I had on that day. So... When I, I think by the time I was, gosh, like not even two miles in, I was sitting in in second place and I could see the first place girl who I later found out was Jade, a friend of mine. I always saw her the whole nine miles. And then as we neared the first aid station, which was like 9.3, we, I was, we were running together. So we entered the aid station together first and second. Mm -hmm. And I felt great. I didn't feel like my goal was... And this is really helpful for those of you listening. Typically in, in a hundred mile race, it doesn't matter. People always go out too fast. It's like we completely forget that we're going to be out there for an entire day running. Like we forget we have a hundred miles, not a 10 K. Like, I don't know what it is. So what is really helpful for me is, uh, wearing, paying attention to my heart rate monitor. Now, Across the board, your heart rate's always going to be higher at at the start of a race. Just because you have a little bit of those race jitters, like that anxiety, and then if you're at altitude or you're in heat, again, your heart rate's a little bit higher. You have like that nervousness. And so what I do is I add, you know, a handful of heartbeats to that, knowing like, okay, it's elevated already. And then I just pay attention to that. And I also really listen to my breathing. So um, I'll, and I did this a lot, those first two miles. I talk a lot to people. That also calms me down and it keeps my pace in check too. Because if I can have a conversation with someone, I'm not racing. Like I'm, I'm definitely just in chill mode. I'm staying relaxed. And that's what I did. I was able to lock in with my good buddy, um, Andy Kumeda, who's awesome. He's a legend in our sport. I think he told me that he's run like 80, 100 mile races. Wow. Like he's so amazing. Um, but it was so fun because we actually ended up going back and forth with each other for for most of the race. And so I knew, okay, I'm not pushing hard. I don't, I didn't feel this crazy effort. Um, the first big climb, it's a few thousand, it's like almost 3000 feet of climbing, like right away in the first, uh, nine miles. And it all happens within the first few miles. Like it's pretty, pretty stout to begin. And we got to, we had the gift of watching the sunrise. I'm telling you, watching the sunrise from a mountain ridge. Are you kidding me? It was such a gift. I was so happy. I was in a great mood. I felt relaxed. I felt, I felt good. So coming in, when I saw you, I knew I would see you four miles later. So I was like, I'm yeah. just taking off my pack. I'm going to grab these bottles and then I'll see you in four miles and I'll pick up my pack there. Um, so I got back on the trail, first woman, and then Jade settled in right behind me and we had a chat. And oh my gosh, out of the middle of nowhere came these cute little, like little pug, like baby <laughs> pugs, like these puppies. There was two of them. They start like running with us and Jade and I like start laughing. And then we turn the corner on the trail and there's five more. There was all of these little pugs running with us. We were close to some campsites. So I'm hoping that's where they were from. But that was a very exciting thing that that next section. It's always a good time <laughs> when you can see a bunch of pugs. <laughs> I love pugs. They're so cute. So we're giggling all the way down. That four mile section was super fun because half of it is all downhill, which I really love. Felt good again. We were then going to make the climb up Mount Baden Powell, which is a, another uh, couple thousand feet of climbing. So it's, uh, I want to say it's probably like 1,200 meters of climbing. You, you're going to hit the highest point in the race at this 
at this time too. We had our good friends from Bear Performance Nutrition following us all day on their cameras. They actually hung out at our house a couple days before. So um, we were having fun chatting with them, uh, Tyler and Drew, and they they even posted some videos and some pictures. If you guys want to check out um, BPN, uh, Bear Performance Nutrition, their Instagram, they are following all my races. So um, you can see some of the reels and the highlights from AC100 there. So by the time we got to, uh, yeah, that was what we're like a half marathon in. That's when you went back and got the kids, right? Yeah. Mile we still, 13. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Cause they got up in the morning to see me off, which I was so proud of them for getting up at four 30 in the morning to watch yeah. me start. Yep. We got them up at four 30, walked to the start line. And we have Mackenzie's best friend with us from bend. Yes. So Ainsley, sweet Ainsley, three teenagers, uh, got them up. They saw you off, which is really cool. And mm-hmm. then I sent them back to bed, uh, for a couple hours. And then I went out and, uh, you know, went to that aid station to see you. And then, yeah, I went back at mile 13 to go grab them at like, I don't know. Which is why I love this course too, because you're so close to Wrightwood, like the main little cute mountain town for those first couple aid stations. So like you're able to go back and get a cup of coffee. If you do have other people crewing or family, like you can go back and get them and they have already had like a few, you know, several hours of extra sleep Mm -hmm. and, um, if you need to go back and get supplies or ice, you're able to do that because the next section is 12 and a half miles. I mean, we're, we're looking at like 20 K yeah, it was like 20 K of running. And so you knew you had a couple hours yeah. time and this next section, um, Vincent gap is the aid station where I'd be seeing my kids. I was really adamant, um, when I was talking to Eddie, how much I wanted the kids there because it's such a cool aid station we come off the top of the mountain and we descend on these switchbacks. So everyone is down below and you're able to watch the runners come down these switchbacks, like back and forth, back that and forth. That was really cool. And you, and in the aid station, you know, I love this about mountains, like conversations carry, like you can totally hear people's conversations as they're coming down the switchbacks, you know? And it was so neat. Like Jade and I pretty much just ran together for that whole section. If you don't know Jade, she is ripping fast. Like she is such a stellar athlete in our sport. At one point I was like, uh, I should not be running with you. Like I'm moving too fast if I am. But I think she was just taking it easy. She was very wise to go easy those first miles. So we just had fun having conversation and catching up with each other. And as we we descended together, again, we, we were coming into all the aid stations just together. I All of a sudden I hear Isaiah's voice. And I'm going to tear up just saying this. But he's like, go mama, yeah mama. And it's just like booming through uh, off of the mountains. And I start tearing up. Because I'm like, are you kidding me? This is so amazing. I look down. I can hear Isaiah. And then I see Mackenzie waiting for me at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, The way the aid stations go, if you're not familiar with ultras, typically aid stations are long. And it'll be like a 50 to 100 feet long where you kind of like drop in. And then you can run past the tables and then go find your crew. So Mackenzie was waiting for me um, at check-in right there where the tables start. And then she ran me in. And... That was just, that was so special. Yeah, that was, really that was a, a cool, I have a cool story about that too. But what the way that one worked is it was like you were saying, that was really cool because you can see you guys kind of doing these switchbacks and, you know, the whole way down that little mountain section there. And actually we were waiting there for a while. And so 
I had the kids across the street. That's where we had to park, mm-hmm. uh, kind of sitting on the back of the truck, kind of watching to see who was coming. And we saw, you know, some of the, the lead guys. And so, you know, we're all right. Some of the girls should be coming. And so I, I went across. Well, actually, let me back up. I, I taught them, not taught them, but like told them, okay, this is what we're going to do when, when mommy comes in. And we filled the bottles and we had, we looked at the spreadsheets that you needed. And, uh, and I told McKenzie, I go, why don't you go at the beginning of, you know, right where she's starting to hit that, the kind of the main aid station. And then you can kind of, you know, see what she needs, ask her what she's, you know, what, what she needs. And then by the time you run to us at the end, we can, we can kind of know and you can kind of tell, tell us. So she, she was really good at that, you know, at, uh, at that one, obviously. And then for the rest of uh, um, the A stations, but what was really cool is that the kids were uh, across the street waiting and watching. And then I went across the street by the aid stations at the very end uh, next to the bathroom because uh, a lot of times you need to hit that bathroom. And the cool thing about setting up near the bathroom is that nobody else is there. Nobody else wants to no, set up next to the bathroom. Why is that? Why is it? That's so weird. Because it smells so bad and I have zero <laughs> sense of smell. So it's perfect for me. So I set up shop right there. So I went over there and I, I got, uh, you know, the, the setup and what you needed and stuff. And I had a chair and I sat down and uh, as I was sitting there, another couple um, came and sat next to me and just kind of started talking to them and come to find out they were local, you know, runners and uh, they were crewing one of their friends. And we just started chatting about the race and, and she asks me, you know, oh, has your runner, you know, ran this before? I said, oh, yeah, she, you know, ran it about 10 years ago. And they're like, oh, okay. So then they start talking about the race a little bit in the mountains. And um, and I knew most of that just because you would tell me. And you've been racing and running in those mountains for so long. But I was just kind of listening. Oh, okay, yeah. And then asked if I've ran stuff. And they were telling me about, you know, what the races they've been in and what they've been training for and just kind of small talk and really, really cool, cool people. And I um, love that aid station chat. Like everyone yeah. starts to kind of become friends. Yeah. And you start it was, to move through the race together. It was cool. Yeah. So then, and then as soon as we were kind of, we were talking, then we would check to see who's coming down the mountain there. And all of a sudden I saw you and Jade kind of starting to make your way. And I got up out of my seat and I yelled across the street to the kids like, Hey, come, you know, here she comes, here she comes. And as you're coming down, they look at me like, oh, wow, your runner must be like an, like an elite. They're like in the top. <laughs> and she's like, they're Sally. Like, what, what's, who's your runner? Like, what's her name? I go, it is Sally. She's like, no, no, what's, what's your runner's name? I go, it's Sally. She's like, oh, it's Sally? Oh, it's Sally? Oh. And it was just kind so of funny. funny. And, you know. I ended up talking to to them at the other eight stations, and and it was just neat because after she was chatting with me, it was just cool to see your you know your impact on that culture and that you know those local runners and stuff. It was neat to neat to experience that. And um, anyways, I thought it was a funny funny story. It's funny. Well, that that aid station was really special to me too because it really grounded me after the interaction I had there with that, with that woman who came up to me. Um, so we, you know, I was getting already ready to pop back on the course. And, uh, this woman comes up to me and, and says, you know, this too strong project really means a lot to me. I was just diagnosed with breast cancer and we both just started crying right there. And, 
she starts apologizing. I'm so sorry for pausing in your race. And I was like, this is, I don't care if I get last place. Like that's not, you know, why I'm here. Like this is the most precious part of the race is being able to see in the most tangible, vivid way, um, the impact and the community that's being created through the project and this ability that we have to connect in pain and in struggle and encourage one another. And we took a selfie and, um, chatted a little bit and it was just so precious. I, I think I, you know, I just had like that moment that stayed with me for the rest of the race. I, I thought of her the entire race. And in fact, I, Jump back on the course. Uh, Jade had taken off a couple minutes before me, and um, as soon as I got on the road, I it was a long road section. It was like seven miles uphill. It was like twelve hundred feet of climbing. Like, you know, th- I think it was over three hundred meters of climbing on the road. <laughs> but I just started praying for her, and I was really just grateful that I could have that reminder of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I loved that the kids got to witness it. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the reasons why I really wanted the kids out there. I was like, I want them to see the community. I want them to see how people help one another. I want them to see how an entire team helps one runner achieve a goal mm-hmm. and, and, and how supportive they are, but then also how friendly just people are. And, and it was really neat. Cause as the race went on, I started to see the kids change a little bit mm-hmm. in their focus and, and even how they were with me, it was so precious. So yeah. after that, I think I, by the time I got to mile 44, so we were about 70 K. Yeah. I was about 70 K into the race. I did feel my quads were just feeling like weird. I mean, I was like, Oh, this is like a soreness. Like I just did a thousand box jumps, but I usually for my entire career, I don't struggle with quad stuff. I, I can, I've done UTMB five years in a row and that's, uh, over 10,000 meters of climbing over 34,000 feet of climbing 34,000 feet of descending and quads are great. I can bomb all the downhills, climb up quads are strong and great. So I knew this wasn't, I, I knew I hadn't gone out too fast. I wasn't pushing hard. I was very patient. I was running within myself. Um, you know, I was really surprised to be moving as well as I was. I mean, all my, I was an hour ahead of all my projections even. And then I'm just feeling like this weird. And I think I had told you too, I was like, I just feel so thirsty. Like I was so thirsty, but I was drinking a lot. But then I noticed I was dumping salt. Like the picture you took of me, laying on the grass. It's one of the most recent posts I put oh, on Instagram. Oh, at the end, yeah. I mean, there's just salt all over me. Mm. And so I knew I was kind of struggling with that. So Chileo 1 is the name of this aid station, mile 44. And you you hit it twice. So you go out, you hit, you drop into the canyons. Um, you hit the turnaround point. So then this is where you turn around. This is the, where everyone tries to make it pass. And then you come back to Chileo 2 and at that point, it's like mile 57 or something like that. So you're about um, 88K into the race, 88K or 90K into the race. And, you know, I I came in not feeling great. And I remember um, seeing Isaiah's little face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the difference between my Isaiah and Mackenzie crewing was so sweet. That, it was like that was personalities really, that was came neat. out. Yeah, they, they, Mackenzie, because I think she is so competitive in, in races and you know, she's, that's like her world. And, 
so when she knows that you're in a race, like, and she, you know, you need water and you're, you know, she just kind of goes in. Yeah. And you need to hurry mom. (laughs) Yeah. You need to kind of hustle us go. And then you have Isaiah who's, you know, default is just like so compassionate and you got this sensitive, sensitive heart. He would always see you. It's okay, mama. Like, you know, know. I always see him putting his hand on your back and you're you're doing great mom. Like you're, you know, just kind of encouraging you and, Um, you know, that was really neat to see those personalities come out while, you know, while they're trying to take care of you and get you to the finish line. Um, but yeah, that was, that was where we first saw you kind of like, okay, not doing as great, you know, didn't feel as strong at, you know, at that point of the race. And I descended into the Canyon and I knew at that point, okay, I don't know how much longer I'm going to, these quads are going to do what I want them to do. So Typically when the legs start having involuntary movement, that's when I know I need to take care of something. So I descend into the canyon, climb back out, and you guys were there. That was... That was the turnaround point. So I was like 80 kilometers in. Yeah, mile 50. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You go down and then you go back up. Yeah, then you go back out. It is brutal. I don't even know how to explain this section of the course, but I remember when I came in to that mile 50... And thinking, how in the world am I going to go back now and reverse that? Because it was even more extreme back the other way. Yeah. Well, and that was the heat of the day. That was like the the hottest. So all the crew and everyone at that aid station, they are seeing death walking into this aid station. Yeah, we, man, that was, that was where the the medic tent was. That was like, they have a huge setup because they knew a lot of. Yeah. Carnage happens at that point. And that's what the race is known for, whether it's an out and back course or a point to point mile 50 is typically where there's the most carnage and the most dropouts. It's just, it's rough. So you've been in altitude the entire time. You've already climbed and descended thousands and thousands of meters feet. And now you're in the heat of the day and you're in this fully exposed Canyon, steep Canyon. You're dropping into it, then dropping back out or climbing back out. And now you have to turn around and go do that again. And the course, I'd say the best description, it is relentless in every way. So whether you're dealing with heat or altitude or the climbing or the descending, it just is, you never get a break. It is, it's pretty brutal. And I knew I kept my two words in mind, wisdom and patience. So I came in, I told Eddie, I said, I need a reset. I don't like resetting in aid stations. Historically, I do not stay in aid stations for a long time. I actually, my strategy always is I'd rather walk very slowly with food and drink on the trail. Um, if, if I'm okay, I mean, obviously if I, if there's like organ issues or I have a broken bone, I'm not going to do that. But like typically like if I'm nauseous or I'm just like not feeling great or I just like, um, you know, my, my legs aren't, aren't feeling good. I'm like, I can all walk for a mile instead of laying on a cot. Like it just like, I have to get to the finish line and sometimes laying down just doesn't, it just doesn't do anything for me. Cause I eventually have to get back up and then I'm all stiff and I don't feel good still. And so that's always been my strategy throughout the years is if I can walk slowly and drink some water and eat some food and just kind of reset with the slow walk, then I'll, I'll eventually be able to be okay. And that's worked for many years. It's not fun, but it usually works. And this time I told Eddie, I was like, I need a full reset. I'm not doing well. My heart rate, I was, my breathing was so erratic. So that was one thing that stuck out to me. So I couldn't like catch a full breath. And then 
I wanted, I had these feelings of just wanting to rip all my clothes off. And yeah, you, you know, came I, in without your hat and it was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, it's like yeah, really hot. Yeah, I my hat and, off. Yeah. I took my son. Like, so I knew those were also signs when I start doing like weird things. I knew I had, I was kind of dizzy. I think I fell, tripped into the chair. And so we spent probably 20 minutes, um, cooling me down. And yep. I think I laid in the back of the truck and Isaiah like hovered all around me at that time too. I think that was hard for him to see me not doing well. And he just, are you okay, mom? And, but I'll tell you what, that was the best thing mm -hmm. that I could have done because I left feeling much better. But then as I descended, I, I started to get progressively better. Like I just started feeling better and better. And then when I saw you guys at Chaleo too, I was a different person. Yep. Yeah. Well, we saw you coming back through. Um, it's funny because I, the same, the same lady who you know talked about how she had breast cancer she mm -hmm. actually came up to me at that chaleo too um you know when you come back out and when we were waiting for you and she goes hey i just wanted to apologize you know for coming up to sally and oh. i know that you know she's in a race and yeah and i just i i reiterated i go are you kidding this is this is why she's here she for these stories and to connect and mm -hmm. for that community and um so it was neat i got to chat with her a little bit about you know everything going on with her and, um, and, and meet her and stuff. But anyways, while she's chatting with me, we, you know, I'm looking and I see you like running pretty well and smiling, you know, coming down the, the trail into the, it's into the aid station. We were like, Oh man, that, that really worked. Like mm -hmm. that little reset actually, mm -hmm. actually worked. Yeah. Cause you were looking like so much better than yeah. when we saw you. And when uh, I had gotten past, so I was in third place at that point too. I gotten past in the canyons. I mean, I was like, I walked a lot of that. I walked a lot of the canyons into that turnaround point. And so I was sitting in third and then I knew sometimes those resets, 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30 minutes, it can give you back hours on the course because once you hit a certain point where you're in a dark hole, it's only going to get deeper and you might beat yourself up even more. But a reset can sometimes rejuvenate you in, in ways where you feel like you're starting the race all over again. And you just feel like, okay, wow, I'm refreshed. I'm cooled down. Like I have energy. There's life back in my bones. Like I feel awesome. And that is what I was feeling. But I think already at this point, I still was struggling with dehydration. I mean, I, I know what to do, but you know, I, I also feel like there comes a point too, where you can be so far gone where all you're doing is you're trying your best to keep up with it because you're fighting it still. I mean, you still have this long race to run. It's still super hot. So already it's, it's a race to try and eat as best you can hydrate as best you can. And so you know, as I left Chileo too, um, I took it easy. I took it easy and then was able to pass the second place girl. So I got back into second place. Um, again, though, that really wasn't like a focus. I mean, I, I have to, to pause here and say, I was very surprised at how well I was moving. And as I entered mile 65, so there's about 110 kilometers in, um, the sun was setting and I had asked Eddie before, I was like, Hey, give me my headlamp. And he's like, Oh, you're not going to use it. But we forget that like mountain miles, mountain terrain where you drop inside the trees, like sometimes you need your headlamp a little bit earlier, uh, than when you would need it maybe here at Huntington beach. <laughs> 
And so I come into the aid station. It had been probably a mile and a half of, of darkness. And I come in and Eddie's standing there. He's like, I'm so sorry. I go, it's okay. Like I, I knew the course well enough and I locked myself in between two people with a headlamp. It wasn't so. on the spreadsheet. You did not have <laughs> give Sally headlamp on the spreadsheet. So I was just by See, the book. You guys, you make the spreadsheet, but you don't need to stick to it. We stay, we stay flexible. Yes. But I was still pr- feeling pretty good. Um, mile 65, 110 kilometers in. And then it was all road after that downhill on the road. And as I neared mile 70, that's when I knew, okay, my quads don't want to do the running motion anymore. So I was pretty frustrated coming into, now we're back at Vincent Gap, the first place that I saw Mackenzie and Isaiah, it's mile um, 75. And I was doing this really like hilarious, like shuffle jog, walk, moving around oddly. I, I'd say pain level was probably like a five out of 10 while running, but the descending, any descending, this is the first year that Andrews Crest 100 allowed poles. If I did not have poles, I don't know how I would have been able to complete the final the final 40 kilometers, the last 25 mm-hmm. miles, it was, um, I had to put the poles down first and then get my legs to the poles. So I came in to Vincent Gap, mile 75. Um, I had been passed on the road, so I was now back in third place. And my friend David Daly, good old David Daly, was there to pick me up. And he endured probably one of the most grueling pacing jobs. Um, it was eight hours, I believe it was to get me to the finish. And I, I was miserable. I'll be honest. I was, I was miserable that in that entire time. And I had had, it's weird. Every time I have to change my running gait, I get blisters. I've never had bliss. I don't get blisters ever. Bad water having to hike those 60, 70 miles. I got blisters because I had this super awkward weirdness going on. And then this time I did. So I had several blisters. My quads were done. And when we say blown out quads, the feeling that it is, it's like someone's ripped your muscles out so that like they don't work. And then now someone's driving swords into your legs. That's that's okay. what it that's that's what it feels like <laughs> that's intense. for the downhill. That's what it feels like. And Dave was really funny. I don't think he knew the extent of it because my personality is I don't like to talk about it. If I'm in pain, my thought always is, well, there's nothing anyone can do about it. I'm not going to sit here and complain. We just need to keep moving. So I didn't, re- Dave really didn't know how much I was hurting. He just knew I was really quiet and I think he just thought I was in a bad mood or um, didn't want to talk or I was sleepy and I felt so bad. Like inside, I felt really bad. And as we climbed back up into higher altitude, uh, you know, some of those breathing problems came back again too. So I would have to stop and do some breathing exercises and then climb, you know, keep climbing. And then anytime we descended, I mean, he at times was like 50 meters and ahead of me. And then he'd turn around and run back to me like, are you okay? And, but we'd hit these, as we hit the backside of Mount Baden-Powell where you descend, you know, 1500 meters, he's like, Sally, let's go. You love the downhill. And I was like, yeah, I do love the downhill. And I'm like dying inside that I can't even run a single step downhill. And that's kind of how the race just continued on. So there was two giant descents 
And with every step, I was just so grateful that I have my poles. I, I don't know how. I've never blown my quads out in my life. In fact, I used to think that when people said, oh, I blew my quads out, that they were just sore. So in my mind, I was like, come on, you can push through the ache. Like, yeah, so they hurt. No, no, no. This is like they literally don't work. Like there's nothing that you can do to make them the quads to fire. Like there's no muscle strength. There's nothing. And it's just painful. And so... As I descended Mount Baden-Powell, I think I got past again there because I sat in that aid station for like 15 minutes trying to rally. And Eddie, poor Eddie, he had been waiting for three hours in this parking lot. I was like, you can go in this parking lot and totally sleep. This will be a great time for you to take a nap. But then he quickly realized it was like cowbells and what else? Wasn't there like a big sprinter van like shining their lights into your truck? Yeah, no, it was like <laughs> one in the morning at that point. And so He's I- He's not slept for- I said, hours. I have, I have an hour and a half. I set my alarm, you know, got in the truck, got this blanket and <laughs> I, the cowbell actually, the cowbell didn't really bother me too much. I actually put my uh, window down a little bit just so I can hear a little bit of that. So I knew people were coming in and, you know, if I knew it was close, I'd check to see if it was you, but, but yeah, some sprinter van, I like pull it right behind me, those big <laughs> fog lights. Like, I'm like, seriously, <laughs> I don't, like, I chose a parking spot, like away from everybody, no other car, but it's fine. Yeah. I got my hour and Poor a half Eddie. In. So he had to put up, Eddie's putting up with grumpy Sally. He doesn't have any sleep. He hasn't had hot food. He's been eating snacks all day. And I come in and I'm in a mood. I, I was, that was a big struggle to get down Mount Baden-Powell so slowly. Mm. I mean, I, I think at that point, and I'm just going to dive into some mindset things here for those of you that are looking towards a 100 mile race or just your first ultra, your first road marathon. There's a few things that your brain does when you hit a physical challenge. And it's really important that, um, if you ever hit these physical challenges in training, that you harness them, that you see them as gold and something that you can build upon. If you hit a physical challenge in a race that causes you to DNF, don't lose heart or think that you can't do that distance. Just know it's a time for you to grow. And like I said earlier, it's how you get stronger. That's how you get back out there and you try again, you use it. So um, Eddie had mentioned earlier, one of the reasons why I have great confidence in doing the Choose Strong Project is because I've been doing this for 12 years and I'm all about the long game. I'm all about putting in the consistent work day in and day out and earning, uh, you know, earning the wisdom and earning the strength to be able to endure. Cause that's how it happens. It's a, it's a slow progression. You don't get this strong overnight. Um, and I really believe that so much of what I've been able to push through both in Badwater AC 100 is a result of years and years of setbacks of challenges and letdowns, both in my everyday life, but also just as an athlete, it hasn't always been a smooth road. You know, I've had some wins, I've had some losses, I've had some heartbreaks. So what I like to do when I hit challenges in a race, especially AC 100, like when this was happening, I remember that I tell myself I've been here before. I know what it feels like to hurt. I know the difference between an acute injury and just like the aches and pains of racing. I know what it is to feel deflated and to be so upset that I'm missing a goal. I hate being passed or I don't like that, you know, I'm off my, my time that I had set for myself. All those things. I understand that. And at the end of the day, the goal is to get to the finish line. So before you start a race, 
in the weeks leading up, the months leading up, you need to ask yourself, how will I respond when? And then fill in the blank. How will you respond when you have blisters? How will you respond when you're throwing up? How will you respond when you twist an ankle? How will you respond when you are dehydrated, when you're sleepy, when your crew doesn't show up, when your pacer is driving you crazy or you don't have a pacer at all? How are you going to respond? And you need to be honest with yourself. What are the challenges that are going to come your way so that when those challenges visit you, you're not shocked and disappointed by them. You just say, okay, I knew you were going to come at some point. I have a solution. So for me, losing my legs, I kind of like chuckled as I got into the aid station thinking to myself, I'm like, well, I power hiked for about 70 miles at Badwater and that totally sucked, but we did it. We got to the finish line way slower than I wanted to. And you know what? That's what we're doing right now. I just locked my brain right back into what I did at Badwater. Was I happy? No, I was actually really upset because <laughs> I didn't want to do that. And I even, I even let myself complain. I do let myself complain. Sometimes it's just to myself. You know, I'll ask those questions like, seriously, like, why does it have to end this way? Like, why, what am I doing wrong? Like, where did I mess up? Like, I thought I did this right. And then I... I then tell myself, okay, you're done complaining. Now we need to focus ahead on each step. And really those last uh, final miles. So now it was a half marathon left after I saw you at Mount Baden-Powell. We had about 13 and a half miles to go. And I just told myself, you know what? It, you know, with this 21K left, I, as long as it's going to take, I know I'm going to get to that finish line. And, and that's what I want. I want that buckle. I want that finish. I want the, the story to keep going and I'm fine. I knew that I didn't have some severe injury. You know, I was, I was okay to keep going. I had a great pacer in David who's paced me for over a decade. Uh, he knows all sides of me very well. It was a hard day for him to pace. Huge shout out to you, Dave, big love for you, for what you had to put up with, but we did it. Um, that final descent was excruciating, you know, a couple thousand feet down to the finish line. And then once you get, you basically come off the mountain and you drop into the city of Wrightwood, this little teeny tiny town, but you run for a mile and a half on the road, but it's all downhill. So it was just excruciating hitting that road and then seeing the family waiting for me. Um, I wanted to run so bad into the finish with everyone. I think I had this awkward 10 step shuffle, uh, that I was able to do right there at the end, but passing that finish line was one of the greatest feelings. I welled up a little bit, just embracing you, Eddie, embracing Mackenzie, Isaiah, and our, our dear friend, Ainsley, Dave, knowing that we have accomplished race number two in this Choose yeah. Strong project and knowing that everything about each race, uh, it's in a very scary way is aligning with my mom's life. Yep. yep. You know, I think about the challenges that we so often meet. I think about my mom, uh, you know, as a mother starting off so excited, you know, she grew up as an only child and wanted children so badly. And she had five kids. She loved being a mom. And I know for her, 
it was her greatest joy. I remember being 15 years old and her talking about grandkids. And this is when she was already terminal and she knew that she'd never see any of her grandkids. But she loved kids so much that even with five children, she would babysit for uh, extra money and she'd work in the children's um, nursery at church to take care of babies. I mean, she just loved being around children so much. She had such a big mama's heart. And I think about how one of the things that she had to face in those final years was accepting that she would not be able to see her children graduate from high school. Her son was the only one that she got to see, but she wouldn't be able to see any of us get married. She wouldn't be able to see any of her uh, future grandchildren. And being her age right now, I think about that. I, I can't imagine saying goodbye to Mackenzie and Isaiah right now and the great disappointment and sadness that comes in that. And when I think of Angela's Crest 100, I think about how it started off so great. I felt amazing. I had my kids around me. Like I was moving so well and I was having a day in the mountains that I love. And the end was not what I expected it to be. Uh, for how good my body felt, I didn't know that I would have that surprising challenge of blowing up my quads and struggling with dehydration and breathing and have to crawl to the finish line. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I planned. That's not what I trained for, but that was what was in store for me. And I want to go ahead and just encourage you and and pause on that thought. I know we're wrapping up the podcast here pretty soon, but I just want to pause on that thought and encourage you, uh, my listeners, that when you hit those moments in your everyday life where you are so well-trained, you studied, you had everything planned out, you did everything you could in your power to make sure that um, things went smoothly or that you achieved the goal that you had set out to do. And then it doesn't. That doesn't mean that you stop. It doesn't mean that you lose heart. It doesn't mean that uh, you weren't meant for whatever it is that you set out for. What you should do is look at all the things that you can learn from it, gather all the gold that's in it, no matter how painful it is, and keep going. Because when you keep going, despite the circumstances, when you keep going, when you're weary, when you're tired, when your heart is broken, you become stronger. You are being carved into the best version of who you are. Because when you look back on your life, I really do hope that you look back on your life and you see, look at how far I've come. Look at all the things I was able to weather. Look at the storms that I walked through. That's what makes you powerful. That's what, what makes you unique in your own personal journey, not the smooth road. I know so often in our society, we often are encouraged to seek comfort, things that are easy, things that are um, always enjoyable, always fun. Uh, and you know, a real life is just not like that. No life is perfect. No life is smooth and great all the time. We need the highs and the lows together in order to get us to that finish line. So AC 100 was just that for me. I, I did not believe that I would have the ending that I did, but I do know that it showed me a little bit more about myself and to see my family waiting for me and be so happy regardless of my finishing time or how I was feeling or the way that I was trudging in that embrace. Um, it was, it was beautiful. Awesome. So that wrapped up two of your six races. Mm -hmm. So what's, uh, what's next? 
What's next is Leadville 100. We are heading out on Thursday morning to fly out. And I'll tell you what, you guys, Eddie left his job teaching to help run um, this business. He's my manager. Let's just, let's just be honest about that right now. He it keeps me stable and grounded. He runs um, so many different facets of our business. But I'll tell you, my favorite thing is that he gets to travel with me now. And we've never gotten to have that. No. Because... As a teacher, you were on the same schedule as the kids. Yep. And so most of my races have always been in the summer, and I have just been so grateful you've been able to do all these races. So Eddie and I will be traveling out together. We're going to join our friends, uh, Bear Performance Nutrition. We got a bunch of buddies um, racing that. Hella Good's going to be out there. Adam Clink. We got Tyler and Drew and Jordan. They are going to be following us with some cameras and, and covering um, our races. So look out for that. We have quite a few things planned for Friday. If you are going to be in Leadville, I'm leading a shakeout run at 8 a.m. Uh, and then I will be on a speaking panel at the expo at 3 p.m. And we had a couple other things. Yeah, I think I can't was... remember. I've, I have a, a shoot. I think Women's Running is doing an amazing piece on the project. So they're going to have a photographer out there. I'm going to go yeah. spend some time with her out there on the trails. Um, and then get in some good food, kick up the feet and get ready for the very early start. I thought 5am early was early for Angela's Crest 100 because we were up at 345, but Leadville, Leadville 100. 4am? 4am guys, 4am start. So, um, which I kind of like, I mean, I'll be honest for those of you listening, I don't know how many of you guys sleep well the night before a race. I typically don't. It's usually the two nights before that I care the most about, so, um, the night before a race, it's, you know, I'll take what I can get, but I love to get the day going. So I'm pretty excited about that. But Eddie will be crewing me and his really good friend from high school. Yeah, that's right. Lucas. Lucas Davis is going to be joining him. He lives out in Colorado. So he has been so kind as to drive up. And, um, I have decided to run this race sans pacer. So I'm just going to have Eddie and Lucas out there and I'm going to, this is also an out and back course, which I love, um, which if you do out and back courses and you don't have a pacer, you don't have crew take heart. Usually the out and back courses mean, uh, the aid stations are awesome. And, and this one does, there's 13 aid stations, I believe, 11 of them are fully stocked and there's two like hydration ones. So like you could do this race without pacer or crew, um, which is really, you know, really encouraging. It's really just the altitude that I think I'm the most, I'm just going to be honest. I will struggle in it. I, I know I will. Um, and I'll share a little bit more on the next podcast after Leadville, why I chose Leadville 100 as part of this project. It's very specific to my story and it's very specific to breathing, um, for me. It has a little bit to do about a little surgery I had when I was five weeks old. Um, and then just also about how just I was made and all the skeletal ways that uh, don't allow me to breathe at a hundred percent. So Leadville will be a challenge. I typically don't do high altitude races, but, um, like Andrew's Crest 100, I am going to go into this race with, uh, with patience. You know, it's, it's the community. You guys are amazing. So many people are like, this is going to be the race you're going to win. And I'm like, this is the race. And I'm praying that I get to the finish line. That is the goal is to finish this race strong. You guys, the choose strong project is about finishing the project as best as I can, as strong as I can. So, um, 
you know, I might have a day out there like Andrew's Crest 100 where I'm like floating around in the top three for the first 70, 80 miles. But you know what? My heart of hearts is that I get to connect with this community, that I get to, um, you know, really be inspired by the stories that are being shared with me and just to encourage people along the way. So Eddie and I are having so much fun with the growth that is coming um, as a result of this project and just the fact that we get to do this together. And we can't thank you enough for joining us and being a part of it. So um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to add, Ed. Nope. That was a good recap. It was fun. Well, thank you so much for being there for me and for sitting by me in this podcast right now. We just want to say thank you for supporting us, listening to us. Again, in our show notes, you can find our link to our app. Uh, We want to encourage you to follow on all of our social media outlets, the Choose Strong podcast and the Choose Strong project, both on Instagram, um, Facebook, and YouTube. And we look forward to getting to know you and hearing from you. So um, please share the show and know that you can always send us messages through our website or on social media. But I want to personally encourage you, choose strong in all you do. Never give up, regardless of the circumstance, keep going. You fall down 10 times, you get back up. You fall down 20 times, you get back up. Keep going. You guys, there's one finish line ahead for you. And that's the one at the end of your life. So live your life well, live your life strong, strong body, strong mind, strong love. Keep choosing strong. 